Welcome to the NCMI podcast. We believe that local churches plant churches. And on today's podcast, we have Marcus Herbert, who leads Cornerstone Church in South Africa, together with his wife, Adele. During a church planters and lead elders training week, Marcus spoke on the apostolic mandate, how every church is called to fulfill Matthew 28 and the apostolic mission. We trust you'll enjoy this podcast. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't, and also to visit ncmi.net for more resources. Uh, we see it in, in the scriptures, uh, as we set time aside, God challenges and speaks. And um, don't be surprised if something of the call on your life is kind of amplified or focused on or made a lot clearer, because we are trusting God for that. So Adele and I uh, planted a church, as I said, we ran it for about seven years, and under counsel and guidance, we had the privilege of closing it down. <laughs> Didn't do my ego any good, I'm telling you now. It, uh, I had to work through the issue of what was God saying and my ego. Yeah, and you know, it is a big thing. You know, this church, uh, we called it the Hillbrow Church. Uh, I'm an ex-druggie, and so... I was planning a church amongst those whom I'd previously sold dope to. And, you know, I was convinced that this church was going to eventually be the or the Transvaal Church and the South African Church, and it would be world revival, and I'd be one of the figures of, you know, revival. Um, uh, but that didn't last too long, did it? <laughs> and it was a good thing because we were focused on ministering into an area that when people got born again, they moved out of it. And so there was this constant kind of rotation of people. And uh, we did have a core that we worked with, but not everybody felt called to minister into inner city. And uh, I remember the council was one day, go and join a base church, and then through that base church you can reach those areas. So we're back into those areas now that we've got a cornerstone, kind of ministering into some of the, the more kind of difficult areas of Johannesburg. And so we joined Cornerstone and then uh, served on two eldership teams, and I was always the most likely to plant a church. I was even told by the first guy who planted Cornerstone, Leon Fondal, you're going to plant. And I said, I don't really feel like God's leading me to plant, but yet this pioneering heart, he's used it in this church to prepare others to plant. And so 22 years ago, we transitioned the leadership of Cornerstone, uh, and boy, have we had some fun. It's been awesome to, to just see the wonderful privilege of working with men and women and seeing sons and daughters raised up and them going out to the north and to the south and to the east and to the west. But probably the thing that's closest to our heart is seeing the gospel impact our city. Man, this, this is a beautiful city. There are 10 million beautiful reasons why the city counts to God. And we want to see them born again. We want to see churches you know, kind of planted into every area in this city of ours. And so, you know, we are still full of hope that we're going to see more and more sites planted, more and more churches planted, and we partner, we partner with those who kind of do a similar thing. So you'll notice on your programs, <clears throat> this is the first session. We're going to have tea. And the one thing you'll realize about Cornerstone, tea and lunch and supper is very important. So they are prominent. Um, and then... Uh, there is also a supper served at 6 o'clock. I think you would have been given tickets for that. And then we come back here together again at 7 o'clock. But I have the privilege of kicking off with 
<coughs> with this thing of the apostolic mandate. So let me tell you a story about Tyron Daniel. He leads the NCMI team, and about five or six years ago, he was invited by a guy who got together all the church planting organizations in America, and a lot of those are parachurch organizations. Uh, you know, they either stand alone parachurch or they denominational parachurch organizations that you can apply to, and then if you pass their test and you have a call and blah, 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 then you can kind of be part of that. And he was invited, and I think kind of, he, he came as an anomaly because when they asked him, how do you do it? Do you centralize your training? And then do you plant from that organization? And he said, no, with us, local churches plant churches. And that blew their minds. They can see it in scripture, but they didn't understand how you get this to happen. And I think as long as I've known this partnership, we encourage churches to understand the apostolic mandate and call and from that to plant churches. So it's, it's not a matter of we, we, we somehow got to send them to some kind of seminary or this is good, this training is good, but you are planting out of a local church or you're going to be sent out of a local church to transition. And so therefore it's important that that local church celebrates these values and the local church understands these values. Scripture, we see it happening. They don't all plant out of Jerusalem. Eventually, they're planting out of Antioch and Ephesus and planting out of Corinth and all over. This is God's plan, is every church becomes an apostolic church that plants churches. And so when Tyron shared this with them, this guy leading the, 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 the kind of conference was very confused. How do you motivate them? Because he said, we have got church planting organizations in America that will front up $250,000, a manse, a building, and a car, and we're battling to get candidates. Anybody want to apply straight away? <laughs> yeah, right at the back there, I see your hand. But yes, the issue, it, that's not how vision is born. It's born from within a local church. It's through our relationships and, and the focus of what this, this church is doing, that's where the apostolic mandate comes from. So another story, we were about five years into leading the eldership team at Cornerstone. We were at a um, kind of conference where the NCMI team met in Australia, and that year we announced two church plants. The year before we announced two. The year before we had announced one. And so it was something of a pattern that was evolving at Cornerstone. And so one of the guys from Aussie kind of cornered me and had lunch with me, and he said, man, you've got to teach us how to plant churches. Of course, I was like, yeah, of course we have to. You know, we'll teach the Aussies anything because, you know, what do the Aussies know? And, and I kind of felt a little bit of pride well up in me. And, and I said, so how are we going to do this? He said, man, just send me your notes and, you know, if possible, even come across and teach on it. And, you know, in the airplane flying back home, I realized we don't have notes on church planting. We don't have a course that we run on church planting. <laughs> it's, it's something that we do. So I had to get hold of him and say, it's actually, you know, it's, it's the way we do life. It's really not a special course that we run. It's everything about our local church 
is about reaching the lost and impacting the nations with the gospel. And so here's a statement that impacted me. Start the way you want to finish. Start the way you want to finish. In other words, right from the beginning, determine that you're going to be an apostolic church. And you can do that because it's biblical. Either you're going to determine to you know, exist for yourselves, or you're going to determine that in everything, every aspect of ministry is going to be about going. If we do children's ministry, how can we help others? If we do life groups, how can we help others? And so through our reaching out, we develop an atmosphere or a culture of giving, of generosity, and of looking to take this gospel further than we are. And so <clears throat> I kind of wrote back to that Aussie guy and I said to him, do you know what, it's, the, the best thing to do is to try and come and hang out with us and, and just see how we do life. And so the, my elders are here today, some of our elders, um, not only to you know, make the crowd look bigger, but it's a wonderful opportunity for them to learn church planting as well um, so that they can carry on with this wonderful tradition. And right now, we have about maybe four or five guys on eldership that are keen on planting. And each season, this is what happens. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. What we're going to do is look at the origins of the apostolic mandate. The origins. So we know Genesis is all about beginnings. That's what Genesis means. It's beginnings. And whether or not you're going to take Genesis literally, uh, we can debate that for a long time. If you're a 7,000-year-old earth, God bless you. Uh, if you believe that there could be ages, God bless you. But we're not here to argue this. We're here to stick to the point of why scripture was written. And the reason why scripture was written is to give us a record of salvation and of how we can be saved. And so all of it is written, and of course in it is history. In it, in it is some idea of how these origins came about. But the whole idea of who wrote Genesis, and we think it's Moses, was to show us God's redemptive pattern. Because along with the introduction of sin, came God's plan of salvation. So let's read Genesis 12. Verse 1 says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I'll make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. We know that that phrase has always been God's intention, is to bless the world through a group of people that are his own. Here it was a nation. God was going to bless him, but we know ultimately Christ came from that line, that descent, uh, and Jesus is the one who's blessed the world. So verse 4, Abraham's response. Abraham went as the Lord had told him. Would we have those attitudes, David. It says went, not procrastinated. <laughs> I love it. I love the decisiveness of it. God gets his attention. God helps him understand something of his redemptive plan for mankind and his response as he went. But not only that, listen to this. And Lot went with him. That for me is the apostolic in action, is Abraham goes and he takes a team with him. 
I love it. And, and so it's our action of being obedient is going to stir others to go with us. It says, Abraham was 75 year, five years old when he departed from Haran. So in other words, there's no ideal age to plant. The ideal age to plant is when God tells you to plant. When God gets your attention and he directs you to what you should be doing. And Abraham took Sarai's wife and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered. And the people that they had acquired in Haran... And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abraham passed through the land to the place of Shechem, uh, to an oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent uh, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord, and he called upon the name of the Lord. And Abraham journeyed on, still going towards Negev. I love the way worship, obedience to God, God's vision is all kind of mixed together. You know, often we see things very compartmentally or linearly. Yeah, we just have an incredible move of God. He's, it's the gospel is full of action. He's going. He's taking people with him. He's excited. He's building altars to honor what God is doing. They're wonderful worship moments. Where we have another example of that is, is in the book of Acts. When we see the Antioch church worshiping, praying, uh, trusting God, and then God says, separate Paul and Barnabas for me. And there's rejoicing when they come back because a door has opened to the Gentiles. The whole church shares in the apostolic mandate and call. And so, just to kind of ground this, too often the apostolic is seen as a project, something we add on someday, or something we aspire to, especially when we get more people and more resources. And I've heard it. Look, we're planting now. We've got to focus on ourselves. And one day when we grow up, <laughs> when we've got about, you know, 100 people, or we've got so many hundreds of thousands of Rand in the bank or whatever it is. We put some kind of precondition. No. God has called every single believer and every single gathering of people, local church, to be apostolic. And that's how we start our church. And so God's original idea from this is that we are an apostolic people. So yeah, we have the shadow or the type of what Christ will fulfill and his church with Christ will carry out and do in the earth until the return of Christ. So parallel, the parallel scripture for that is uh, Matthew chapter 28, 18 to 20. There we have the, the, the New Testament mandate of what God said to a nation there, God is saying to the church today, exactly the same thing. So let's look at Genesis 12 and kind of make some comments around that. First of all, chapters 1 to 11 set the scene of God's redemptive plan for fallen man. That's what it is. God doesn't go in there to explain, did man evolve or not? Or, you know, <laughs> you know, how did this all work? The whole idea of this is God wanted to show us that man has fallen and he has my plan of salvation. That's it. That's exactly what it is. And so these origins are important for us to notice is that man is sinful, and when you follow through the processes, they continue to be sinful. Continu In other words, man's default is sin. 
May, and God's answer is redemption, but not only redemption, but through those who have received his redemption to take this message out. That's the apostolic mandate on the church. Too often we confine the gospel to something I receive only. But if we understand the apostolic mandate, I receive so that I can impact others. God saved me so that through me he may impact others. So too often we've, re- we've preached the gospel and we've preached uh, our understanding of kingdom as something we receive. It's an end user product. It's an audience that is there that receives this and then we're happy because our buildings are full. No, right from the beginning, the way we present the gospel is you've received grace so you can give grace. You've received salvation so you can reach out with it. You've received forgiveness so that you can reach out with forgiveness. You've been healed so you can heal. You've been delivered so that you can deliver. So right from the beginning, in the beginning stages of what we do, we build in the apostolic mandate. And it is so important. And so we have the beginnings there of sinful man and God's plan. You see, at this point, man has fallen, he's been cast out of the garden, and the earth has been populated, and man's heart of evil has been clearly seen. Now God intervenes in Genesis chapter 12, and I love it. Was, did Abraham attract, attract God's attention? Only through him choosing Abraham. It's not like Abraham had done anything special. God just chose him. He was still in some kind of Eastern religion, serving other gods, caught up in that whole system. And there would be this process as he walked with God, he would learn God's salvation. And so we see in this passage the Abrahamic covenant. And many, many references go back to the Abrahamic covenant. And we know that God had always intended through multiplication and continuity that this would go from one man, Abraham, to a nation that would impact the nations of the world. That was God's plan. And those two words for me are two words that I think we've missed in the body of Christ. Continuity and multiplication. As God looks at you, he would like there to be continuity. Raise your sons up this way. Raise your daughters up this way. Raise up spiritual sons and daughters. In other words, make sure you pass the baton on. Yes, the stats. Revivals don't often go beyond the second generation. Revivals in the world, they don't. They kind of get killed in that second generation. The second generation somehow doesn't understand what has taken place. We are 40 years old or 41 years old in our togetherness as NCMI. And I tell you, there is definitely a challenge to this thing of continuity. Are we raising up our sons and daughters what we got raised up on to be pioneers and to take the gospel out? Or are we raising them up to just maintain what we have done? No, we don't do that. We've got to raise them up with that same fire in their eyes, that same passion in their bellies, that same vision in their hearts to see the nations of the world impacted. We can't just maintain. The war is won in two ways. And we have Kier with us here. He's a strategist. He knows about this. You keep the ground you've taken and you go and take new ground. The minute you try and defend what you've taken and that's your strategy, you're going to lose ground. The minute you just make it about yourself 
and about your comfort and about my church and my building and my people and the rest. We're going to lose ground. So what do we do? We send our best. And as you can see, there are some of us here at Cornerstone that are still left. We are the rest. We've sent our best, and we're the ones that have remained behind. <laughs> uh, we like to joke that way, but you tell me an elder or a lead elder in a church that when he sees wonderful potential coming into his church, that you don't want to hold on to them, and you don't want to just build locally with them and become stronger for that. You think of Antioch, Paul and Barnabas in one church. Paul, wow, what a gift, you know? Man, he could teach all night. His teaching could kill people. <laughs> the guy that fell out the window, you get it. Okay, anyway. But he, he could hold your attention. He had an understanding of the gospel, but the Spirit says send him. And I think that needs to be our understanding, that every bit of potential in our local church is available to God because we want to make a difference in the nation and the nations of the world. So God chooses a man and determines to build a nation through him and the reason why is not so that he can say, this is my holy nation, but he can impact the world through that nation. He wanted to take Israel as an example of a nation that was dedicated, that served God and God alone, not idols, not, nothing else, and were living in obedience to him. Now impact the world. We know they failed dismally. But yet that was the shadow of what Christ was going to fulfill. You see, so obedience to the Great Commission will require going. That has to be built into every aspect of what we're about. And that Genesis chapter 12, origins, if you want to know the origins of the kingdom, there they are. And what is the kingdom about? Going, sowing, giving, looking outward and realizing there's a world to be impacted. And then those two words, continuity through the ancestral line, and growth and multiplication uh, as Jacob came around and his sons became the nation of Israel. Awesome. I, I, I just love that. Every aspect of our discipleship has got to have those two words in it. Our understanding is we are developing a sense of continuity and multiplication in what we are doing. We see verse 3, through Christ, from this ancestral line of Abraham, all the families of the earth have been blessed. Awesome. It really is. And so Abraham goes and he takes Lot with him. So here we have the gospel announced ahead of time. In Galatians chapter 3 verse 7 it says, Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith, are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So now how does it happen? Not through an ancestral line, not because I'm family of Abraham, but because I have the faith that Abraham had. And that's what we preach today. Through faith in Christ, we are sons of Abraham and we inherit, like Abraham, not only do we inherit a kingdom, but we inherit a call along with that kingdom and we're required to go. And so, this is the privilege that we have. So think about that salvation, that great salvation. So built into our understanding of the gospel should come this apostolic identity and mandate. So 
the, the kind of, I think it was um, Martin Lloyd-Jones who came up with this from Scripture. If you want to understand the gospel message, it has three tenses. First one is the past tense, which is justification. I have been saved. In other words, if we are in Christ, then we've been saved. And potentially every person on the planet can be partakers of this if they accept Christ as Lord and Savior. But that's an event. It's done. I didn't do anything to deserve it. All I do is receive it by faith. That's why we are, like Abraham, children of faith. Okay? The second one is sanctification. That's a present tense process. I'm in a process of being saved. You know, there's work going on here. Uh, Philippians, I think it's 2.10, talks about work out your salvation with fear and trembling. God works in you to will and to do what his will is. So, so God works with us in this period now. And then the third one, of course, is this event that glorification is going to be. We will be saved. So the time that I'm saved, I'm guaranteed glorification. In other words, when Christ comes back, no judgment for me. I'm going to live forever with him. No more pain, no more suffering. Great white throne judgment moment. Guess what's going to happen? Well done, good and faithful servant. Hopefully, if I've really used the talents that he's given me, hopefully that's going to be it. I want to go to this present tense of salvation, sanctification. You know, we've misunderstood it. And in the past, you've had holiness movements that kind of drive you by saying, if you don't work out your salvation properly, you could lose your salvation. Okay, some of you might be sitting here believing that. For me, if I've been justified and it was a work of God and I've accepted it, how can I lose it? Because it wasn't my work, it was his. So anyway, that's just one of my arguments, but let's get to the work of sanctification. The work of sanctification has two purposes. It's to give me an internal inheritance and an external one. So sometimes I think the way we present the gospel does not build the sense of an apostolic call and mandate. Because we use the gospel as, as a kind of commodity we receive only. No, it's something that's going to give me an external inheritance as well. So let's look at the internal, becoming more like Jesus Christ. So that's this work on earth. As long as I'm alive, the Spirit of God's going to work with me, lead me in the Word of God to become more like Jesus Christ. From glory to glory, I'm going to be changed into the image and likeness of God. You know, we can look at our spouses and say, thank God for that. Any other promise I make is hollow. But I can promise this to my wife, that I'm becoming more and more like Jesus. And I know the immediate thing is, well, take the trash out and show me how good you are. <laughs> They're all practical things, but that's the wonderful privilege we have, is hopefully in a year's time, I'm going to be way different to how I am now. And of course I want to strive to be sin-free because God is going to enable me to do that. I want to do that. And if I do sin, I can't confess my sin. So that's the one. I want to take ground to become more like Jesus. The second one, the external inheritance. Every single believer has been given a job to do in the kingdom, a call. And it's got something to do with the gospel. And so as much as Abraham was called and commissioned to kind of understand this gospel, he was commissioned to take the gospel out. 
That's what's missing in the body of Christ today. The priesthood are like an audience and a spectator group that receive, and there's very little understanding of this external inheritance that we have, that every one of us has been anointed in a very peculiar way, some one talent, some two, some three, with gifts and so on, to make a difference with the gospel. And so I do believe in our presentation of the gospel, we need to present it in this way so that our folk would understand the importance of all of us being involved with the apostolic call that is on our lives. So the next one is, I just want to focus a little bit on the gospel is a going message and the Great Commission can only be accomplished through planting New Testament churches in every village, every town, every city, and every country. You see, too many times the gospel is just presented as this kind of philosophical message that we adhere to to get into heaven. But this is how we make our disciples, is with this understanding of internal and external inheritance so that everybody's busy with discipling. Everybody's been raised up with the same mandate, the same vision, so that we can see this kingdom grow and go out. I love the fact that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16 that he will build an overcoming church. And the gates, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prosper. And right now, today, he's building that church. And, and yes, the question for us as church planters, transitioners, those who are leading churches currently, is Jesus building his church? That's the bottom line. Are, are we allowing him to build his church? It's interesting that we could even say that, will we allow Jesus to build his church? Of course we should allow him to. But I tell you, we hijack it too many times with good ideas and church growth programs and you know, comparisons. Compar I'm comparing myself to the guys down the road. You know, they've got a bigger building, so, you know, then buildings become important. And, you know, they got some fancy speakers in and they could fill their building. So I'm looking for ways to do that. No, stick to the line and length of this mandate that's on the church, this apostolic mandate, this understanding of the gospel, and you will produce fruit season by season. Here's a horrific picture of the church in Revelation chapter 3, the letter to the Laodiceans. Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. So that letter is written to Christians. And Jesus is standing outside of his church knocking to come in. So in other words, we can do church without Jesus. We can do it without his will. And good for you. Let's see what happens. And when you read backwards, that church was lukewarm. They lived under a delusion of what their uh, kind of uh, indicators were of prosperity and success. They were absolutely wrong. They were way off target. And you know what the key issue is over here? It's devotional. Invite Jesus back in. Open the door. Allow him to come back in. And he said he will have supper with us. And you can be sure at that supper time, as we relax and we've had a few glasses of whatever and uh, a nice big meal, your defenses are down and he's able to look in your face and say, let's talk because I do want to build my church and I do want it to be an overcoming church. And he presides over every church. It says in Revelation chapter one, the last verse is he's amongst the lampstands. 
So if you want an idea of how to build a church, word of God, submit to what Jesus is doing. Invite him in and say, come and help me with this. But I think we do get caught up with the world systems too much. And then we try and add on the apostolic. It's not a program. It's not for parachurch organizations, church planting. It's not only for some churches. It's not something we hope to do someday. It's the very spear tip, the very arrowhead of our apostolic identity and purpose is that every local church has been anointed of God and purposed in God to be those that are going to plant or partner with others to plant. And so the primary way in which we make disciples of all nations, and we're going to come to that scripture, is that we plant local churches. It can't happen outside of local church. I know we've had various seasons of missionaries going out and impacting, but I tell you the ones that have stood today are those that go out and plant churches. And you see, in accordance, we receive power, Acts 1.8. Heaven's endorsement is the power of heaven behind us so we can go out and make a difference. Important. And so let's look at Matthew 28, if you wouldn't mind turning there. to We're going to look at verses 18 to 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, that's us, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So for me, that's the New Testament interpretation of Genesis chapter 12. Of course, you can go and read the further promises of God that he gives to Abraham as he confirms his covenant to Isaac, he confirms it. To Jacob, he confirms it. And the consistency is, is I'm going to bless you so that you can bless the nations of the world. And so we need to take that into the scripture. Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. is There's an authority that Christ has that he gives us in our going. You see, too often, there's an understanding of this authority I have, and I just want to keep it here. No, the, the better part of that authority, the outpouring of it, the manifestation of it, is as we go, there's an authority. And tell me now, people that have gone out on trips to visit other churches, uh, the team that goes out, comes back, and what do they say? We were more impacted than they were impacted. Because there's stuff that can only happen when we go. There's, you know, so Paul and Barnabas come back with a greater vision of kingdom. Galatians, the, 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 the Gentiles have received the gospel. There's a great door that God has opened, authority. And so as you go out, so therefore, you need to know that God has sent me. So these are the things that only you can do that God can't do for you. He can give you the call, but you've got to identify it. You've got to be obedient to that call. You've got to obey that call. You've got to work with that call. You've got to prepare yourself for that. You've got to have the heart of obedience. That's character. So that you're ready to take on this call. You've got to trust God for the anointing that is yours. The gifts that he's going to give you. So that when you get there to care to the Ukraine with a bunch of you guys, 
that you know that God wants me here. And that is where heaven touches earth. And there's an anointing of authority. And so that wasn't a throwaway statement, Jesus saying, all authority has been given to me. Now go. <laughs> because we are in Christ, seated with him in heavenly places. And there is a powerful anointing. Next one, make disciples of all nations. Man, have we missed that. Not just our nation, the nations of the world. So here we have this little local church. You can go and check the map. Not all the stars on the map are ours. But boy, we've spread to the east and the west and the north and the south. And that's not because we've got greater money resources or greater people resources. We've just heard God and we've said we want to obey you. And that's what God wants to do through every local church. How's this for a glimpse of heaven? Revelation 7, 9. After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches in their hands and crying with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's what motivates us. To understand that right from Genesis 12, Matthew 28, right through to Revelation 7, we have a picture of nations, ethnic groups, every one of them important to God. For God so loved the world. You know, it's amazing our Western idea of a bride. Think about our Western idea. Like she starved herself. She's as skinny as a rake and looks miserable. But for me, the bride picture is an African bride, Mafuta. Big, voluptuous, curves everywhere. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue. Not an anemic looking little thing. Christ is coming back for a church that is fully expressive of the nations. And you know, I might be trapped in here in, in this ethnic kind of container, but yet God has said, I'm going to blow it open as you go to the nations. I want to determine to take on God's heart, even though it's me and my wife. But from the first moment, sweetie, we are preaching the nations. Amen. So notice the kind of command is make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. What is that? Our mandate as we go out is not to further Cornerstone or further NCMI or further some title, you know, some kind of name. It's the gospel. Our mandate is the gospel. Baptize them, the gospel. Paul gets to Ephesus. He meets 12 people. What does he say to them? He, he gets them to understand that there's a gospel and that Christ has died for them. They need to be baptized. They need to be filled with the Spirit. That's the way we do it. One at a time. As we go out to the Ukraine or any other region God has called you to, one at a time we apply the gospel. And when you're faithful with one, God gives you another one, and another one, and another one, and another one. And always this in mind, continuity and multiplication. As you've heard, tell others. And now we multiply as we go. Then it says, teach them to obey everything. Isn't that the one ingredient that's missing in our discipleship? Hey? Obedience. It's phenomenal how we don't want to upset people. We want to gather a crowd and just keep them happy. Every, everybody happy? Carpet okay? Chair soft enough? Coffee will come now. Don't worry. And you know what? We've got a little goodie bag for you because you came to church today. 
He wants you to feel super special. <laughs> Jesus at times dispersed the crowd by saying, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. I love that attitude. In other words, there's a seriousness to this commitment, and part of this commitment is you no longer Lord of your life. There's a new Lord. There's a Savior and a Lord. His name is Jesus. It's nice to be hospitable. Don't we do that over here, and we do it well. But that's not the way we keep people. We keep people as they become disciples of Jesus Christ. And so we teach obedience. What's one of the primary ways in which you can teach obedient? obedience? It's to be obedient. It's to set that example. Paul's able to say, follow me. The thing I'm doing here, I do everywhere. You'll see it in my life. There's a, there's a discipline. And you know what obedience is? I don't have a good plan and invite God to bless it. I find out what God's plan is because that's already blessed. I want to work it that way. And then I think the thing that we miss the most is that last phrase. It says, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. This age is going to end. And we guaranteed his presence with us where? As we go as we preach the gospel, as we make disciples of the nations, as we teach obedience, there he is with us. I've never seen a, a, a pastor who doesn't pray for the anointing of God. Let this Sunday be where heaven touches earth. I want to see signs, wonders, and miracles. And we get excited when we see a little one. The best is when we're going out. That's where it happens. Because that's what God says. I'm going to be with you in this mandate of going out. And so it's important for us to have that attitude, that heart. And so I want to come back to that one statement, is start the way you want to finish. If you want to plant churches one day and, and, and fulfill this apostolic mandate that's on the church, then start that way. Tell every single person when they join that we're in for the greatest ride of our lives and we're going to see churches planted. And already ask God for regions. I remember taking over the leadership of this eldership and there were at least 10 suburbs in, in Joburg that I had on my heart. And, and, and it continues to be like that. I don't feel that we can ever exhaust God's vision when it comes to dreaming about the nations and the world because he is gonna fire that up with incredible passion. So let's bow our heads, let's pray. And then we're gonna go and have some tea and coffee. <laughs> So, Father, we are very aware that the premise of Scripture is your desire to bring salvation into our lives so that we can reach out to others. I pray that that kind of course correction would take place wherever your gospel is preached, that we'd move away from a prosperity gospel, a rock star gospel, a, a big show up front gospel. Those things can happen, but we know the primary thing is to set our people free. That every single one of them knows the apostolic mandate on their lives. And we want to pray for that word to be rescued, Lord, out of misuse. Like it's a title or some kind of big thing. Actually, it's the very heart of Christianity. And we know you, you showed us how it works by sending your son 
who went in his apostolic role and kind of exploded with grace across the planet. And now you give us the privilege of being justified and then being sanctified. Not only becoming like you are, but doing what you did. And I pray that into the life of every church represented here will be those that are hungry to see the nations of this world impacted, the cities impacted, the villages impacted with the gospel. I want to play my part. If the picture is us in Nehemiah's time working on our part of the wall, I want to be responsible to ensure that your kingdom goes out with power from that point. So thank you for what you're doing in our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Remember to go to ncmi.net for more resources.